Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined this week by Braden Dollar Coltman. Elliot is away. Braden, we're nearing the end of the year. We've only got a couple shows left before we say goodbye to 2022. Uh, it isn't officially our last episode of the of the year. We're gonna we'll have one more, and then we'll probably do our year in review kind of show where we did a uh, like we did last year. Where we've got some of our favorite segments from across the year. But while it's just you and me here, looking back for you, what was your least favorite sports moment of the year? Oh boy, put me on is the it, spot. Like, is it the Oilers favorite. losing to oh, the Avalanche? Is it the Blue Jays losing? No, I'll tell you. Is yeah. it the Raptors losing? Are many of your teams lost? Uh, <laughs> well, tis the season, them. my friend. Tis yes. the season. Uh, it's got to be that dreadful outfield crash between, I think it was Bo Bichette and George Springer, and the whole season just flashed and was gone. Um, the, the Oilers' loss was, was devastating. The, the Raptors was a bit expected although they had a good season it was definitely the blue jays which were primed and ready their whole uh i think their whole moniker this year last year was the trailer and this year is the feature film and sadly we're going to need uh, a sequel <laughs> to to make a, amends for an absolutely dreadful feature film so. all right let's get to it we got lots of uh <laughs> soccer to talk about let's do it here's topic one Okay, so I know, look, you're busy, you're in a show, you're not sitting there every morning at 7 a.m. watching uh, these football matches in the World Cup, Um, and obviously the World Cup is always a very tricky thing to um, unpack, and this one maybe more so than in previous years, because we are dealing with a World Cup taking place in a country that has no business hosting it, that has no business, frankly, hosting any major sporting event, and that includes Formula One, that also has a race there, but... uh, Again, this week, before we talk about the games, and we are going to talk about the games, because at the end of the day, there is still a sporting event going on. And I think that you have to be able to discuss both parts, um, not independent of each other. I think their conversation has to be all encompassing. But there's there there's a there's a reality that these games are still happening and they still matter uh, in, 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 in many ways. So we'll talk about that in a second. Just before I did that though, I, I did want to just acknowledge that we had two deaths uh, this week at the, at the world cup. And it's interesting because they're, they've been covered in very different ways. And I think that it draws some, uh, you know, attention to sort of not, not, not just the, um, the challenges that FIFA has on its hands here with where this world cup is being hosted, but more, I think it draws uh, an interesting or puts an interesting spotlight on how they've been covered in different ways because of who died. So first earlier in the week, we we learned there was another migrant worker death. We've had um, obviously reports that hundreds of migrant workers who have come into Qatar in the last decade to, to build these stadiums have died. They've, it's been reported and it's been pretty, it's been made pretty clear that they have been living and working in appalling conditions. Um, The number is unclear because again, the Qatar uh, authority is not being very transparent about it. And frankly, they've been very arrogant in the way in which they have um, talked about it. But then this week we, we learned that another migrant worker who was working around the tournament has died again, very unclear circumstances to the exact cause of death. But when asked at a press conference, the executive of the Qatar organizing committee 
pushed back and responded to the media, basically saying, how dare you ask me this question? We should be talking about soccer. People die every day. They die at home. They Ooh. die at, at their jobs. They, they die everywhere. This is, this is just one person we're talking about. Now, obviously, incredibly cold, callous, uh, and disgraceful response to the question, but also incredibly telling. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes in those moments, people, the filter comes down just enough that you can see the true sort of callous nature of this. So that was disappointing. The second death um, that I wanted to ask you about, and, and we, we can start here, is that of Grant Wall, who is a American, was, in, uh, was an American journalist covering the World Cup. Um, obviously, this has grabbed headlines all over the world because, again, now we're talking about a foreign um, journalist who has died. And under very, um, let's call them foggy conditions uh, or circumstances, mainly, well, uh, we don't know how he died other than the fact that he uh, lost consciousness and um, was unable to be revived in the press box during the Argentina um, match, the, the, yeah. the, the quarterfinal match that happened earlier in the Netherlands-Argentina match. And the circumstances of it are, are very confusing. He had spoken earlier in the week to family about not feeling well mm-hmm. um, for several days. It was unclear what that was. He was on some form of antibiotic that he had been prescribed there. Uh, and then, as I say, he died in a very suspicious way. I am not here to open any kind of conspiracy theory. We don't know. And the most unfortunate part of this whole situation is that because of the gravity of everything else going on surrounding this World Cup, I think we are not going to really know for a while, which unfortunately leads to speculation. So... um they the, the the piece of this i think that has become the 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 most difficult to unpack is that wow. we've seen from the very beginning of the tournament the security around these events and things were very critical of people in rainbow clothing this journalist had been asked multiple times not to come into the press box wearing um shirts with rainbows pride um, sort of symbols, American pride symbols on them. Um, and he had, he had been reporting about that part of this tournament. And that's, I think, where the question marks come from. So when you heard about this story... That's complex. I know. And that's, I think, where, again, I'm trying... And I know I'm, now I'm kind of rambling into it, but I'm trying to be very careful not to say uh, what I think a lot of people are thinking. But the worst sure. part about this is that a journalist has died under very suspicious circumstances around a tournament that has had very suspicious treatment of both journalists and those with let's call them political um, messages or, or, or humanitarian messages on their clothing on and in protest sort of forms. It asks a lot more questions than it answers, but it definitely casts a very appalling sort of veil over the end of this tournament. Um, yeah. Where, where do you, so where, where are you? Well, okay. Sister? Yeah, so let's let's loop them both in here, the migrant workers uh, dying, because that has been something that has been covered throughout the whole building of this event, an event that was uh, gifted to Qatar, uh, awarded to a country that didn't necessarily 
I don't know if earn is the right word, but under very strange pretenses or very strange circumstances uh, compared to some of the other bids. Uh, UK was there, USA was there. Um, and so so already the pushback on on the event happening in Qatar beyond the other you know, political and, and um, challenges, obstacles, uh, hosting, like you said, uh, a major sporting event um there uh so watching it all happen just the catastrophe after catastrophe and no kind of uh clear accountability it, it reminded me a lot of the woodstock 99 event that it just it, you could see the thing absolutely imploding and there was no accountability nothing you know being said by fifa by the organizing committee about you know these things that are happening that are you know it, it, it doesn't look good to top, you know, to top that with the the banning of the, the you know, any American symbol or pride, political pride flag. Um, but then, you know, Budweiser being the main sponsor, uh, not being able to drink at the event. Like this just, this, this does not look good for the FIFA World Cup. The whole, the whole intent was soccer is a universal sport it's an international sport it's it's thriving and here in the middle east now and now you've got all of these other kinds of uh situations around it i just think it's 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 not helpful at a time when um you you want uh you know you want the world to come together as as like we talked about this with the olympics it's a it's a similar situation where you just you're looking at the way it's being run you're looking at accountability from the people who are in charge, the leadership around it, the the whole thing just doesn't feel great. And what's unfortunate is you've got some incredible stories taking place on the field, but off the field there, there seems to be devastation after devastation. Yeah. And I think that that's what this world cup, regardless of how this turns out, you know, there will be the, there will be whatever the final champion is and we'll know sort of what that storyline is the the what would traditionally be the sporting storyline of this but but i feel like the, this is a different world cup than we have seen in the past and we have had world cups under very you know um tricky circumstances obviously the the world cup two 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 eight years ago so two sessions ago two world cups ago in russia under very similar why is this in russia kind of question marks with all of the um issues and of course eight years later, Russia's in an even more sort of isolated state than they were at that time. But the attention that a World Cup brings to a country is, you know, is so dramatic and it's so powerful in terms of what it offers that country in terms of sponsorship and and money and all of these resources. Oh, absolutely. Just as the Olympics do. And which is, of course, also why corruption happens. Sure. Because we're dealing with, with a lot of money. But in this situation, I think that this World Cup, for the first time in my memory at least, feels like it will be more um, fairly remembered in in terms of the actual truth of what has been going on than other ones, right? I think that oftentimes we have the conversation about the corruption and all those things leading up to the event, even the Olympics. And then once the sporting starts, people seem to turn that part off. I don't feel like it's ever really gone away or been turned off. And of course the fact that we're continuing to have deaths and incidents like these um, are only helping in terms of elevating the um, 
that part of the narrative. And I do think that that is important and that is good. And I hope that it has a lasting impact, not only for FIFA, but overall in terms of how cities, countries, um, regions, whomever, who are trying to use sports in a sports washing kind of way to, you know, again, sort of um, clean up their image internationally. I hope that this makes this makes that harder and that we have a bit more scrutiny because we have had this horrible example of it happen. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was going to say was in Qatar's pitch. I mean, in every country's pitch, but specifically in Qatar, they wanting Qatar to be um, a center, an epicenter for sport internationally. And I think in the Middle East, having, you know, their, their specific intent of shying away from, you know, a, 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 a strong oil resource they want to be seen or focused on as you know, serious sport contenders. And I think that there's something really, really important about that. We talk about the, the growth of a game in, in different countries and what that does to the country, unifying culturally, economically, so many different ways. But to see what you're saying, of, of you, it, it's not it's if it's not done in a way that is ethical or or um healthy for the environment for the community for the people uh locally but also globally i think it's it, it actually has more uh, devastating ramifications that are involved yeah you know 100 um let's spend a moment talking about what did happen on the pitch uh, obviously, I think a lot of people, it's difficult to sort of separate those two things. I, I, I'm one of those people. At the end of the day, I don't believe that the players of these countries sh- should be punished for the actions of a, of a bureaucratic organization that is clearly and utterly corrupt in FIFA. Um, so for me, I think I'm able to uh, watch and cheer on the incredible um, athleticism and uh, sport that is happening. Um, but again, not not forgetting the circumstances under which it's happening. And I think that, that that's a tricky, very tricky tightrope to watch. The quality of soccer at this tournament has been astounding. It's been oh absolutely phenomenal. The drama, the scale, you know, for people who aren't necessarily sports fans, let's say, turn on one of these games in the in the last five, six minutes when it's tied or when you've got a team with a one goal lead and watch just the amazing drama that is capable of unfolding three of these quarterfinals were nail biters uh even right to the end the first two we had croatia brazil and the netherlands argentina on uh, friday were phenomenal both of them as i as you said went to penalties so those again who are maybe unfamiliar with international soccer when you get to these knockout rounds they don't end in draws like they do in the quarterfinals they can't you have to have a winner one team's going to go home um so unlike in hockey or or some north american sports where you'd have sudden death overtime they play a full additional kind of mini game two um 15 minute halves it's an extra 30 minutes of soccer they play it all the way through so even if a team scores in that extra time they will continue to play the entirety of that so the other team still has another chance to tie it which adds to that drama and then at the end of that if we are still tied they go to these penalty it's basically a shootout right it's a penalty shootout so the croatia brazil game was fantastic we had croatia with a just an unbelievable performance defensively against just one of the most special uh sort of offensive teams we've seen all tournament. Brazil has been putting just unbelievable offense together. And all of a sudden they came up against this Croatian team, which is, it's a weird team 
because the older players who have been there and of course went to a final uh, in the last World Cup. And then you have a lot of young guys. There's no one kind of in the middle. There's these like late 30s and early 20s and there's this gap, right? So you can see the next generation and the last generation kind of playing together. And they just held Brazil off and held Brazil off and we went into extra time, um, into this overtime, scoreless. Uh, And then Brazil was able to score first. Croatia tied it. And then we went to penalties and Croatia, uh, they, they were phenomenal. Their goaltender won it for them. Then the next Brazil game you have. Even hack. They had Neymar back and they couldn't seal the deal. Exactly. The next game you have Argentina and the Netherlands. And it's the same thing. Argentina goes up 2-0 and it's like, okay, this is dusted. This should be easy. And then they get into sort of foul trouble uh, with the referees and kept making just very aggressive tackles where they didn't need to. The Netherlands scored one and then literally with stoppage time which is you've, you've already exceeded the 90 minutes you're just playing out the extra time that's been put on the clock for all of the substitutions and goal celebrations and guys rolling around on the ground 101 minute they have a, a free kick from just outside the box and one of the cheekiest calls i've ever seen he doesn't take the shot which we saw in the england game he just feathers in a little pass. All the Argentine defenders are expecting a shot, so they're not prepared. The Netherlands player receives it, turns, and buries it, and we're tied. We go to, again to extra time. They don't settle it, Pretty and Argentina slow. wins it on a, on, a, on a penalty shootout as well. So just, again, the drama there. <sighs> that was a crazy phenomenal. game. Like, and that one got feisty. Very physical. It looked like a schoolyard brawl at some point. That, that one play, uh, there was a huge dive, and then – I think it was the Argentine player like kicks it into the Netherlands bench. The yeah. Team runs out. Another guy gets bombed. Like it just the drama just it grew so hundred percent. And those that Netherlands team, like those Dutch guys, are big, big guys. Yeah, no, they are. That's a big point, a big part of it. And and you know, they uh, the 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 tempers didn't sort of subside after the match too. There was a lot of. Uh, jeering and and sort of yelling at each other after the, the match oftentimes you sort of get to the end of these and you see the sort of the sportsmanship come out and these guys are just exhausted but like Lionel Messi is taking a doing an interview on the sidelines post game and an Argent or a Netherlands player is walking by yelling something at him and then and then he's yelling back at him and it's like wow these guys really went to war here for for you know 120 minutes um then we get to Saturday Saturday we have the absolute underdog of all underdogs in this tournament morocco the first african nation ever to make it uh this far in the tournament they beat portugal taking down ronaldo who was on the bench to start the last two games after um some let's just call it poor sportsmanship directed at his own team and his own coach he'd been taken out of a game earlier in the tournament and went off on his coach. So the coach said, fine, then you don't get to start. And of course for Ronaldo, he's chasing some records and, and whatnot. Um, but he's, you know, he was punished for it. They brought him in late in this game and he wasn't able to be the hero. Morocco won one nil, which was again, uh, just unbelievable underdog story. And they become the first African nation ever to make the semifinals at a world cup, which is pretty phenomenal. And then we have the matchup of all matchups in terms of rivalries, historic rivalries, Right. I'm thinking Waterloo. I'm thinking Egypt. I'm thinking, uh, I mean, how many times have England and France gone to, to, to war with each other and then had each other's back in other wars? But these two countries, long, long seated uh, animosity. France, the reigning champion, the World Cup tr- defenders here, and England with this plucky young team that had everything working for them. 
they just couldn't get that last penalty to go. So in this one, it was one nil France. Harry Kane gets a penalty. He takes it and buries it. No problem. We're tied. And then France scores again. And then Harry Kane gets another penalty late in the game. And this and time facing, if you it. like storylines, facing the goalie he plays with for the Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, no. So the guy who knows him. Now, he's already beat him once. <laughs> so the guy is now, it's all psychological. And they're standing Just there. And Harry Kane, I think, was worried it. he was going to have to put it top corner or it wasn't going to work. And unfortunately, as you said, he put it 40 feet over top of the bar. They actually Oof. also had, like the Netherlands, a last second a uh, free kick from just outside the box and uh, Rashford took a brilliant attempt at it, missed the the top corner and, and just put it over the net by mere inches. That would have been a, the goal of the century for England had it gone in. Cause it would have been, it was, wow. it was literally perfect. It just curled an inch too short. So phenomenal. So we have France, Morocco, Croatia, and Argentina moving on. We have Argentina and Croatia uh, in, and on Tuesday, and then we'll have France, Morocco Wednesday, obviously, much easier road for France now as, as Morocco, um, as I said, has been the underdog the whole way. If Morocco pulls this off, that's the World Cup right there. They don't even need to win the whole thing. They've literally just unseated the, 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 the former champions and the dominant, the most dominant team here. But I have a feeling France is going to have just a little bit more than, than Morocco. The Argentina-Croatia one is definitely more interesting. I'm not going to spoil it because I know we're going to use one of these as our pick of the week. But for you looking at who is left in this tournament, who's the favorite overall for you? Is it still France? Well, or are you worried about France? Wouldn't it Morocco? be funny? Wouldn't it be funny if that Morocco team just continues their little slide through this tournament, taking out the biggest of teams, Spain, Portugal. No, dude, I do think France is the best team in this. And I, I think it's, it's going to be uh it's going to be whoever has to face that uh, Goliath. The, it, it's crazy, and the goal thing as well. The the back, they've just got everything really going for them. I I do. I'm I'm thrilled though. I mean, we talk about we talked earlier in the year about you know what what's Canada going to be up against? You know, go, going to face some of these you know all the teams I just mentioned: Spain, Portugal. But the fact that Morocco and Croatia are still in this tournament in yeah. our Group F, it, it's phenomenal. I mean, we played some of the best. Uh, that there is in the tournament. I think that's on up for specifically for Canada. I think that's awesome, awesome uh, news heading into the next one. Uh, as for Argentina, this is messy. Like he obviously he wants to be here and he he's talented enough to be here. And um, I, I'm thrilled. I'm excited that these are the the, the teams left. I, I have a feeling we see a France Argentina final, but. Stranger things have happened, and it would be fun to see uh, an underdog here um, make some more waves. All right, let's leave it there. That's topic one. All right, well, we just talked World Cup, Braden. Let's get to our pick of the week here uh, for Bet Stamp. Obviously, um, Elliot is not here, and Elliot has really been dominating. Uh, our picks. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to stand in for him. Hopefully that's going to be okay. Uh, and hopefully you're successful. He, he is, uh, I think he's two, two and one now. Cause he picked Morocco to win uh, against was the amazing. Spanish. And that was a great call. Um, so as I said, it's uh, it's time for our pick of the week. It is presented by Betstamp. Betstamp is your one-stop shop for line shopping, bet tracking and sports betting odds. Uh, you would never go with just the first price if you were shopping for flights. So why settle for the first odds you find when trying to place a bet? Betstamp has made it easy. They've streamlined it. 
It's an easy app to use. It allows you to, to, to see a wide spectrum of odds for any bet. Then it makes it easy to track your bets all in one place. You can set alerts in case the line changes. Learn what bets your friends or even some celebrity bettors are making. So I've kind of teased it a little bit already, Braden. Our bet of the week is going to be the Argentina-Croatia game. You get to make the pick. Who are you going to put your money on Croatia-Argentina semifinals World Cup? Okay, I'm going with Croatia. I love it. So sticking with Elliot's uh, track record of going with the underdog, and they are good underdogs because uh, definitely Argentina is the favorite in this one. If you go to Betstamp right now, you're going to see that the best odds uh, are at William Hill. That's plus 500 for them, which is a lot better odds than, let's say, if you went with just sports interaction where you would only get a 285 uh, right now. So putting money down on Croatia, Braden, it's a great choice. It's an underdog. Look, don't sleep on this Croatian team. They are wily. They are difficult to play against. Brazil certainly had their hands full. Maybe Argentina will too. Uh, if you like this idea, you want to follow us down the, this road. Uh, look, we've we've had some pretty good success. We're two for two. Elliot for three has. Right. I need to catch well, up. Let's see and, if you've got the same the magic. One. All right. So if you want to join us this week, you can download the BetStamp app for free. Please, though, when you sign up, use the code Ordinary so that they know we sent you to always get the best odds when you're betting. Choose BetStamp. <clears throat> All right, topic two. Um, we're going to stick with soccer, football, soccer. We're going to call it soccer because this, this, now we're in North America and we're calling it soccer. Great news this week. Um, we have on many different occasions on the show tried to uh, spotlight and, and highlight um, women's sports, women's professional sports. We've talked a lot about women's professional hockey and some of the struggles in the, pre- in the last couple of years that uh, those leagues have been having. Great news this week, though, here out of Canada. Former Canadian uh, Olympic soccer superstar Diana Matheson, along with Christine Sinclair and several other partners, have announced that they are going to be launching a semi-professional women's soccer league. Um, in the, the goal is that they'd be up and running by 2025, so in two years from now, which is fantastic. Obviously, there is professional women's soccer all over the world, but Canada has struggled to sort of have and sustain their own professional league. Um, The goal here is that they would over time be able to develop a league that is across the entire country. At this point, we have two teams um, that are sort of semi-announced. It's been announced that they will be launching as this league continues to develop. But the most important part about this story is that Canada is going to commit to developing women's professional soccer right here at home. There are over 120 Um, Canadian women right now playing in other women's leagues all over the world. The goal is to bring as many of those home, let them play in front of their own fans, in front of their own country. Uh, Hope is that it will continue to allow them to develop the women's game, give the women that are on the, like the national team, um, better opportunities to be, again, playing in front of Canadian fans, developing sponsorships, developing those partnerships. Uh, as I said, the hope over time is that it'll, it'll grow and be you know, across a few different country, uh, cities across the country. Um, the big cities, obviously, being Toronto, Montreal, Calgary, or Edmonton, Vancouver. Those are the launch cities that they're hoping for, and it'll probably start with four or five, maybe six teams, and over time, maybe they can grow. The challenge, obviously, like every sport that's only in Canada, it's geographic. The most expensive part of this is going to be travel. They're trying to figure that out. Um, Diana Matheson was actually on cross-country checkup today on CBC, taking questions from Canadians about what their thoughts were on this whole thing. And I thought she was both incredibly eloquent and incredibly well-prepared. She had every answer. She knew exactly what she was talking about. I love the confidence that this league is starting off with because 
we've seen women's sports grow in the last decade in terms of its prominence and in terms of its profile. The WNBA probably is the best example of the success story there. This league has every opportunity to be really, really successful. She was answering questions about, you know, where will you play and what are sort of the objectives financially, you know, those two answers being they'd like right now to play in facilities that are there, but the hope over time is perhaps that there could be bespoke stadiums built or facilities built. You know, they're hoping to play in front of, let's call it like five to 6,000 seat venues. So, you know, university size venues or, or even some of the same venues that are being played right now in the Canadian premier league, which is obviously lower than MLS, but, but a very successful league in Canada right now. And then the second one, financially, she's like, every one of these players need to be paid a salary that allows this to be their one and only job. We can't have women's sports being, you know, a side hustle. They have to be able to commit to the training necessary to make this league work, um, which has been one of the challenges with some women's leagues in North America in previous years where they've had to have like side jobs, work at a grocery store during the day and then go play hockey at night, which just doesn't, it isn't right. And it doesn't work. So big, big news, Braden. I know you, you know, you, you are a big advocate for uh, the the WNBA and you've, we've talked on the show about women's hockey and how it has grown. You must be thrilled when you hear this. Yeah, it's really great. I think it's really great uh, for the women's sport itself, but as for, like you mentioned, the, Canadian fans that want to see these players play in their own backyard. Um, It only grows the game in terms of its viewership and its interest. Um, But then you're also going to see a lot more people seeing themselves playing this sport uh, if they can see it on their own turf. So, you know, it's, it's awesome because uh, you've seen what, like you said, the WNBA's been able to do but you look at the canadian markets yeah we've talked about the cfl and it's kind of it's got its own rigmarole and things it's got to sort out but the new leagues right that we've got a canadian basketball league that that's really started to thrive specifically in edmonton we've had a very successful team with players going on to play in the nba so there are there are some really great things about this and i think that if they follow in some of that mold um you could see you could see some um just really great rewards being reaped from this. I think the other thing too is, is, you know, watching um, how Canada has reacted to um, watching soccer, uh, watch the lead up to the FIFA game, all the, you know, the men's game, it's, it's the sport itself. And, and to see in Edmonton Commonwealth, absolutely packed the nines to watch uh, some soccer, some soccer, some footy is it's, I think it, it leads to, one, the interest in the fact that uh, this could be very successful. So I mentioned in the intro there that there are two teams that have sort of already announced that they have intentions to be the founding um, teams there. They're Vancouver Whitecaps. So this is right. going to be an extension of the Whitecaps, the MLS organization. Um, that's great. They are I mean, already. That, that's how the. WNBA has been able to be successful. Is, exactly. Is you have that partnership. And I've league. said this for a while in terms of the NHL. This feels like the missing step there for that. When you look at the the infrastructure and all of that, the Whitecaps have actually previously had a women's organization that played in a U.S.-based um, oh. professional uh, sports league until 2012. Um, uh, they, I think they were called the Breakers or they had they weren't called Whitecaps, but they were part of the same organization here. I think the branding would literally just be the Whitecaps, which is what you see sure. in Europe with with sure. women's soccer. Anyway, you've got, you know, uh, like they don't even and they don't even call it like PSG women. It's literally yeah, just yeah. PSG, an extension of the same brand, which same I think college is great. Or university. It's a it's, you know, it's a brand. And I think what's great about it is that you have a built-in fan base for that organization and for that brand that would mm-hmm. already have like the emotional investment in 
the identity of that team. You know what I mean? If you, if you had a, a an, like a, an extension of the Oilers that were oh, sure. as a women's game, you oh, have sure. Oiler fans who would just be Oiler fans again. The second team I just want to say is the Calgary Foothill soccer club has announced that they will also try to launch a team. So already we have Vancouver and Calgary uh, signing on. Um, interesting side note, uh, gold medal winning goaltender. We talked about penalties in the earlier one, Stephanie Labe, just last year, uh, like earlier this year, was hired by the Whitecaps to be the general manager of women's soccer. This is before this was even announced. So she's very excited. Obviously, uh, she was quoted earlier in the week saying Whitecaps FC is thrilled to be one of the first two teams uh, to sign on to this professional women's soccer league. And we believe the creation of the league is something we have been advocating for over many years. And it's part of seeing it come to fruition is truly exciting. So it's awesome, right? You've already got really infrastructure. Absolutely. The biggest question is this. I know this is two years away. Can Christine Sinclair play? play? <laughs> because she's obviously in the twilight of her own professional career, but you know the value she would add. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be fun? I think she would serve uh, very well on the, on the field, obviously. Um, more, more importantly, I, w- I want to keep seeing her, you know, in a, a facilitating um, uh, uh, ambassador role commissioner i don't know but you know overseeing this thing happen i mean she's right off the get-go from founding it and trying to make that happen and then being the voice being uh, an important piece of uh, it moving forward it would be so much fun it would be so much fun to see her on one of these teams um but in 2025 i mean yeah she could probably still compete uh, there's no question there but yeah, uh, I think I, I mean, she's already clearly involved in the league and it will just be interesting to see whether or not she uh, is healthy and, and still competitive at that point, because you, you know, she's not going to yeah. do it in just a symbolic way. But it would be a lot of fun to have her out there. Obviously, she plays right now in the in the, in the, the USA version of, of that um, for the Portland Thorns, I believe is the team. Um, so obviously, you know, look, it would be a lot of fun to have her there regardless this country has produced and we know this, they're literally the reigning gold medals from the Olympics. They have developed and we have developed an amazing um, pipeline of elite level women's soccer in this country. We have a, like it, they, they are the most successful uh, soccer players we have. Look, the, the men made it to the world cup. Good for them. Lots of great men out there, but the women's program has been dominant in their sport for Mm -hmm. a a lot longer. Uh, And I think that it's overdue. Uh, that we have this league i think it's very exciting i hope that when they launch they are met with as much enthusiasm as i think this announcement has and i'm sure they have two years now to develop and build that brand out i hope that other uh teams obviously we've only got three mls teams in canada but it would be nice to see them jump on board toronto would certainly be a great fit because you've also got bmo field um that's a good sized venue already bespoke most of the cis uh um facilities already exists and then those are the i mean what you've labeled as you know five thousand six thousand viewers those the infrastructure is there in most of these cities yeah that's the key piece is that they they have to they have to do what the cfl has not done if you look at a similar size league which is that the cfl as it's losing its audience has not scaled down economically to fit what its actual audience is they have the advantage of starting from a place of making sure that the money and the audience base match each Matches, other and then yeah. leaving themselves space to grow 
as the sport and as the fan base does too. And I hope that that happens. The other thing that they talked a lot about is ensuring that there's, you know, similar a little bit, I think, to the CFL. And I'm sure that there's some lessons to be learned from the CFL in terms of a diverse league with only six teams across a very big country, uh, travel-wise and all of the logistics of that. So I'm sure that they will be looking at that. But the thing they've talked about uh, that's similar to the CFL is sort of ensuring Canadian talent. Now, I'm sure the majority of the players will probably end up being Canadian anyway, but they want to make sure that every single team, let's say it's a sixth team, is guaranteed a member of the national team. Oh, certain roster spot. So it's like there's a dedicated Canadian national soccer, like like the international team on every single team, oh, um, wow. which I think is great. It's like a guaranteed starting place for each team gets a star kind of thing. And obviously I have a feeling, you know, you've got what, 20 players that are on the national women's team uh, rotating in and out or whatever. I, I have a feeling most of those women would be very excited to come back and play here. If the, if they're able to create a league that's competitive uh, salary wise to what they would get in Europe, that's the key. Oh, for sure. Uh, it's hard to believe that they wouldn't want to play together. <laughs> no, hundred <laughs> percent. If they weren't allowed to and against each other too, I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, very excited to see, as we said, we will, we will vote. Continue to follow this story as, as it develops moving towards 2025, as I said. Um, they're hoping that um, Soccer Canada can come on board fully uh, and, and sort of develop out what the rest of the, the system is necessary, all the infrastructure, whatever. It sounds like they've already got some major board sponsors, Air Canada and CIBC have already um, signed on to this venture. So it, they've done everything right to this point. And I think that's the most exciting and promising thing is that when you see a league trying to get off the ground the right way, and, and mo- most importantly, I think, being led by people who know this sport inside and out, have played it at the highest level, they will understand what these athletes' needs are on and off the field. That's really exciting. You know, the buy-in, the entry level for this, we could, we're talking about like millionaires could be buying these teams. This, this isn't like the... the Mm-hmm. cost of buying the Ottawa senators. So there, I hope that there is investment and I hope that there are um, people across this country who are going to support these women because they deserve it. They need it. And this country, I think would only be benefit uh, would only benefit from it from a sports perspective, because as I say, we really are a women's soccer uh, Mecca in so many ways. And that would be great to see it uh, come full circle all the way to the professional side, 2025. Let's leave it there. That's topic two. Topic three this week is brought to us by the MCU and me podcast. The newest podcast to join the ordinary podcasting network is an awesome deep dive into the Marvel cinematic universe. Here's their trailer. Hey, I'm Sayer and I love Marvel and I'm Kaylee and I love someone who loves Marvel (laughs) and we're watching through the entire Marvel cinematic universe or MCU in release order. For Kaylee's first time. And Sayers 85th. <laughs> Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find MCU. And me! Sayers Obsessed! And Kaylee's the best! MCU and me! Okay, it's uh, December 12th. You'll be listening to this on Monday, December 12th. And I can't believe I'm saying this, Braden, but we're going to talk about baseball. You just uh, love baseball, dude. Let's just admit it. Look, we're talking baseball mostly because I really want, I really just want you to tell the story about uh, items in Kevin Kiermaier's pockets. But before we get, before we get to the Blue Jays part of this, obviously it's spring or it's winter meetings. I should say not spring, winter meetings in the in Major League Baseball, which is when all 
kinds of transaction. Yeah, transactions yeah. occur, and obviously some big names tend to move around. And I'm sure there were lots of um, big big conversations, certainly around the biggest player in the league, Aaron Judge. He chooses to stay in New York. But for you, as our genuine bona fide uh, baseball enthusiast. What were the biggest names, movers, shakers, and storylines for you as we moved through the beginning of winter, uh, the winter sort of transaction, what we call an F1 silly season? The silly season. Well, it's funny you say the biggest man in baseball. He is huge. Aaron Judge is a massive, massively tall man, and he had massive numbers this year. And he bet on himself. He he turned down a contract, uh, bridge contract from the Yankees last offseason. He said, I don't want to talk about it. I want to go to free agency. I want to see how much I'm worth, and I'm going to prove it. And he goes out, and he just crushes home run after home run after home run all season. He lands a 40 million dollar a year contract 360 million total over nine years back with the Yankees um San Francisco was in big on him and he they've been in big on lots of players uh sadly they have not landed anyone but Mitch Hanniger at the moment oh and Jock Peterson who's returning um another big name uh Trey Turner goes to the Phillies from the Dodgers the Dodgers are losing some of their stars um to this the fact that they're just running out of money, which is crazy. The Dodgers never run out of money. Um, but let's talk about the San Diego Padres. Why don't we? We are the official San Diego pod, unofficial San Diego Padres podcast. Um, Elliot is not here to be as elated as he should be that they landed the Boston Red Sox star shortstop Xander Bogarts. Uh, on an 11-year deal. Th- this is an interesting one, I think, specifically because that was Fernando Tatis's position. So either they've determined, hey, we, we need, you know, maybe we'll move away from this guy uh, based on everything that we know about his doping incident, um, the, his inability to play as of the last few years, or it means they're just going to move him either to the outfield or to another position. So it, 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 it Creates a lot of depth, uh, really great depth. That is, I mean, it's a star player. So, uh, fantastic. Let's shift to the Blue Jays because nothing else has really happened. We saw Kershaw sign another year contract and Verlander's now with the Mets. But the Jays uh, have been there. The last few years, they have been in on these big names. Fortunately, landing George Springer a couple of years back. Um, um, Ryu was a big contract that they were in on and they keep trying to be in a position where they can get better. They moved out to Oscar Hernandez uh, to Seattle for um, a pitcher. I don't remember his name. We definitely need pitchers. The thing with pitchers is they're so hard to find and it's really <laughs> for lack of a better pun hit or miss. Um, so yeah, the only big splash that Jays have made uh, is bringing on Kevin Kiermaier. Uh, you alluded to it earlier. If if people would need a reminder, last year, uh, last few years, he's played with the Rays. They had a game against the Rays last year um, and a little bit of a, a game um, score sheet, uh, um, a cheat sheet, if you will, for the Jays' strategies had fallen onto home base. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier picks it up, does 
doesn't give it back to the Jays. The next inning, a pitch is thrown at Kevin Kiermaier and uh, a bit of a brawl ensues. Um, so the Jays decided, hey, you know what? If we can't beat him, let's uh, have him join us. <laughs> and now he knows all our secrets. So let's just bring him on. Uh, the Jays need an outfielder. This so he's signed a- now, though. He's signed. Kevin Kiermaier signed. So would yeah, you say that he's a- done with all of his paperwork? <laughs> uh, hopefully in the off season he's done with his paperwork and if he's able to pick up other teams uh strategy cards it only works in our favor i think we need a new segment on the show where i just attempt really bad jokes <laughs> they all have um, baseball okay so i guess this is where i'm at knowing nothing and i i, I genuinely <laughs> mean that <laughs> about baseball i know nothing about any of these players you've said like Six people I've never heard of. They could literally work at the pharmacy and I wouldn't know the difference. Right. But uh, other than, I mean, they're probably very tall and athletic looking guys. Um, yeah, definitely. And my pharmacist does not. Um, <laughs> the question I would ask is this. We know now they have Kiermaier. What do you want or hope or expect the Blue Jays to do between now and opening day to make them a competitive, you know, playoff quality team? going into the 23 season. Oh my God. Pitching every year, pitching, pitching, pitching. But as you say, it's very hard to do that. How do they do that? Oh, how are they going to do it? (laughs) They need a, they need a consistent starting five. We've, and they need some of their young guys to actually create, but it's going to have to, it's going to, they're going to have to bring in some arms that are scarier on the back end. We don't have any hurlers on the back end that can, you know, throw hundred miles an hour. Nate Pearson was supposed to be the guy, but he either has mono or constantly is injured. Um, so it's, it's frustrating. Every season you're going to get injuries, obviously, but you need some consistency. The Jays lack consistency like mad when it comes to pitching and it's, it's hard. It's frustrating. and It's exhausting. I'm sure for the offensive players who are out there, um, you know, doing everything they can to put points up and then just seeing those points diminish and fall away in the, in the later, um, in the later innings. Uh, the, the nice thing with Kevin Kiermaier, a lefty bat. I mean, the Jays do need a little bit more diversity when it comes to left bat, uh, left-handed hitting uh, through the rotation, but pitching has to be the focus. Are there big names still out there in terms of players you expect will still be on the move around the league? Who are sort of the outstanding players that haven't yet found uh, their new home or, or re-signed? Um, there's some interesting names. They're all kind of, you know, older. You've got like Aroldis Chapman, who I'm not sure will ever play again unless a team decides that, you know, that's a good idea. No, Syndergaard, I, I'm not sure if he's re-signed. He had a really great, he, you know, he, he was traded to the Phillies and then helped them get to the to the finals. Um, Craig Kimbrell, uh, you know, I'm looking down here. And then, I mean, when it comes to pitching, you're going to have to really look deep. Um, Brad Hand still available. Rich Hill. Um, man, there's it, lots of lots of different names. It's just going to be how, how do they fit and how do you make it work with, with the money? Yeah, I guess that's where it comes down to, doesn't it? I don't it? think uh, there's any big names, though, that you can anticipate the Jays picking uh, picking up when it comes to pitching. I just like, I, I think they're going to lose out to a few other, it's going to be some diamond in the rough guys, some black horses that hopefully can. I said black horses. I think I meant dark horses. Yeah. Dark horses. <laughs> I mean, I mean, to be fair, a black horse would be 
dark. I think you should cut uh, this part out. <laughs> no, I think we're keeping it in. This is good. You should definitely cut this part out. <laughs> At the end of the day, uh, it is, as I said, December 12th. We're talking about baseball. But I have great news for you, Braden. You're only 108 days from the opening day of wow. the 2023 season. So start oh counting. Gosh. I'm so start excited. Now. Uh, and uh, March 30th. Mark it wow. down. Mark it down. All right. Look, thank you, as always, for joining me. Thanks for having uh, lots of great little tidbits about baseball players or pharmacists I've never heard of. Let's just hope and- they don't hang out together because hopefully, you know, those baseball players don't get jabbed with things in their arms. Unless right. It's yes. Baseball players and pharmacists, not necessarily not a, a good, great relationship. Not a good mix. No, no. Uh, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. As I said, we've only got a couple episodes left in the 2022 news cycle. We'll have our best of the year uh, right before or after Christmas. We're not sure. We'll let you know next week. Either way, thanks for listening. If you don't already, please smack that subscribe button. Jump over to the Ordinary Podcast Network's website. That is www.ordinarypodcasts.com. You can follow us on Instagram. And as always, that was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.